Okay, not only is it Christmas Eve, but it is our 23rd birthday. We are full on on adulting right now as we have grown up into this space. Thank you for being here for our birthday, but more importantly, thank you for being here for Christmas Eve. Um, it is incredible to this space. It's been a long time, it's been a long time coming. Um, so, uh, Christmas presents. Have you figured out your perfect present? You got that all squared away? You're good? Everybody's good? Huh? A little silent out there. A few people up front are saying yes, but it's okay. So uh, I am, and I think I've made mention of this before, I am a horrible gift giver. And I would, here's the crazy thing. I would have never known how terrible I am at gift giving, except for the fact that I'm married to somebody who has the gift for giving gifts. And because she shines so bright, she puts me in a very ugly light. Like, so my, my gifts are just absolutely horrible. Many, many years ago, I went to Denmark. Uh, Krista was not with me. I'm there in Denmark. I wanted to get a gift for her. And I met somebody who became a friend who, uh, their family owned this stainless steel, like gift. Uh, you could, you could buy all these incredible gifts they had. They're all made us. It was beautiful stuff. And so they showed me this little catalog he had. He says, pick whatever you want. So I looked and looked and I studied that catalog. I, he gave it to me for a day and he says, whatever you want, I'll get it for you the next day or whatever. So I'm studying this thing saying, God, please help me to figure out the best gift. So I picked out something that I thought it was a solid home run. Okay. So when I saw him, I said, this is what I'll take. He said, oh, no, no, no. Pick out another one. You can get that, you get something else. I said, uh, okay. So I picked out something else that I thought was like my next runner up. Like these are two locks. Like she's going to be happy with this. He says, no, no, you got to get something more. I'm like, oh God, I don't see anything. But because he pushed me so hard, I went ahead and picked out a third gift that I knew she would not like, but I got it anyway. And so I came home and I gave her the first home run gift and I could see it. She doesn't hide anything well at all. She said, she was not happy. It's like, oh my gosh, you've been gone for a couple weeks and this is the best you could do, man. Particularly when it's free for you. I... Yes. So, but there's more. There's more. So I got her the second gift. I was sure that the second gift was going to come through. Clear again, down with the face. So clear. She can't hide a thing. I knew I had struck out. So I almost didn't give her the bad gift that I got for her. So anyway, I decided, well, what the heck? I might as well do it. She's going to see it eventually anyway because it was kind of big. And so I gave it to her. She starts crying. Like, oh, she's weeping. She's up. And, 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 how, how is it? Like, I should just pick the opposite thing. I just get the opposite thing that I think is not going to work. And that is actually, you know, that's the thing that's actually going to work. I was with uh, Derek not too long ago. We were on a trip somewhere. And um, he said, I'm going to get this gift for my wife, Becky. And I just thought to myself, dude, you are just so foolish. I mean, that is no way that gift's going to work. I should have told him, but I thought, you know what? Everybody's got to learn and grow. Okay, so let's just let him learn by, by trial and error. She is going to hate this gift, right? I didn't tell him that. Came home. So I saw him and Becky like a week later, and I said, hey, I was, I was dying to ask this question. <laughs> I was just waiting for her to say, this is the biggest, stupidest person I've ever met. Anyway, so I, how did you like the gift? She said, I loved it. i like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. This is why I don't like Derek sometimes, Okay. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, we were standing in the hallway. Derek and I were talking to somebody. We were standing out there in the lobby a couple weeks ago. And this person uh, is, you know, talking to both of us and then points at me and says, hey, you are his son, right? I'm like, that's right. That's right. Love it. Love it. Okay. So if you happen to see Pastor Derek today, tell him his son, John, said hello. Uh, Gift giving. Gift giving. So. Somebody handed me a $50 bill as they walked in today, Paul Mullen, $50 bill. Uh, he said, if you will mention Wordle 
today. He's the second person to mention to me Wordle today. The Wordle, should I give it away? Am I allowed to give it away? Give it away. Okay. If you can't get the Wordle today after being here at church, there's a problem. Okay. Paul doesn't know how to give gifts either because he really inspired me. He says, here's a $50 bill for you. And then after he gets me all juiced up about saying the Wordle thing, he says, but then you have to give it away to somebody else. That kind of a bummer. Anyway. uh, Okay. Uh, here's the thing. Is this really important to know about the foundation, about Krista's foundation in life and my foundation in life? So one of the reasons she gives better gifts is she's a better person. But the other reason is she was raised in like this incredible gift-giving home. Like Christmas at her house was an extravaganza. So we got a picture. Uh, this is in her home. But this is what it would look like. I see these pictures of Christmas or her birthday. is like incredible parties. My house was not that way. Here's the gifts that were given in my house. Like, this, is, this is totally real. Like socks. <laughs> Anybody grow up in a home but that's what you got? Socks? Here, here's the other. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Toothbrush and toothpaste. This is what we would get. Very practical. There's no like, ah! Nothing like that. It's just whammo, right? That's what we give. So this actually, and I want you to remember this because this plays a role. We're going to come back to the foundation because the foundation of our life is really important, okay? All right. Here's where we want to go. Chris, the Christmas story is a peace story. Like the Christmas story is surrounded and saturated in peace. Like over and over again. Isaiah says that Jesus is the prince of peace. That he's going to lead a government of peace. That he's going to establish peace. And as my son just read a few moments ago in Luke chapter 2. right, That Jesus is actually peace on earth. So everything about this story is peace. So what, is, what exactly is peace? When I think about peace, I think the first thing I think about is the absence of conflict. I think about an inner tranquility or an absence of conflict. But actually, that is not the Bible's definition of peace. And this is where it's going to really help us to understand the Christmas story. Like, what exactly is going on here? I know Jesus and the manger and the sheep and the donkeys and Mary and Joseph. Okay, but what, it, what, what's really trying to be communicated here? And we have to, in order to unlock this, we have to understand what is the biblical concept of peace. In the Bible, peace is the peace that precedes the peace that we think about. I'll say that again. There is a peace in the Bible that actually precedes the type of peace that we think about. So this peace is so powerful that it kind of undermines where, where there might be conflict. It gets in there and undermines it. In other words, like it takes all the air out of the conflict balloon, so to speak, before the conflict balloon pops. What is this peace? This peace in the Bible means a lot to do with balance, like things are balanced the right way. It means for something to be whole, for something to be complete, like there's, like there's nothing missing in this thing. In other words, like for, particularly for those of you who have kids or have had kids, I remember years ago when Jonathan was young, our son was young, uh, we got him this big, huge Jeep, you know, that you could sit in and you could drive around. We live on a cul-de-sac and he could just drive all the way. Massive tires on these things. And we got it for him. Paid a lot of money for this thing. We got it for him because I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. Does, it, does anybody here do the same thing? You buy gifts for your kids? You're like, man, I'd be the happiest kid in the world if I just had that gift. And then they play with the box the whole time. But anyway, I, there was some assembly required. There was some, you've seen the signs on the boxes, some assembly. Yeah, some, a lot of some, okay? And so I'm putting all this thing together and I'm not the best at stuff like this. And I was thinking about this. If I had forgotten or not been able to put one of the wheels on, so like there's three big knobby tire wheels and that one is missing, you would say, that Jeep has no peace. 
because something's missing. I, in, in the Bible, when it, like, there's a time I think it talks about a wall, this big, huge, big rock wall, and some, some of the rocks are missing. And you would say, well, that wall has no peace. There's, there's something, there's something there. I think Job talks about in the Bible, he says, you know, he's talking about his flock and there's some missing sheep. He says, that flock has no peace. It has no shalom. There's something missing. So here's, here's the question. What is missing from your life? And when it comes to Christmas, there is something very critical that the Bible highlights that we desperately need that God is trying to get through to us that will totally revolutionize our relationship with peace. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. What is peace? How do we mend or how do we heal our broken lives? How are broken lives actually made whole? And this is what I'd like you for just a moment before we jump back into Christmas. I want you to think about this very, very carefully. What is it that mends our lives? Okay, for the past decades, it's probably been three, four, five decades. It actually started about 100 years ago, but it really got ramped up about 30 or 40 years ago. The best science that we have, like the best of the best of social scientists across a wide range of research institutions, they will tell you this. There is something that we absolutely must have that will heal our broken lives. And you know what the word is? It's a one-word answer, empathy empathy. We need empathy. That starting, particularly when you're young, and if you have kids, please dial in for just a second. Particularly when you're young, you have to have that empathy. It is critically important that you have empathy. What, what is that? Empathy is that you're soothing the hurts, particularly when, when a child is young. Like you, you, you cuddle them and you comfort them and you're there for them. You're there all the time. And what, what, do we, what do we see in Christmas? Christmas is not about sympathy. Sympathy would be Jesus staying up in heaven, looking down on this earth and say, wow, geez, I feel so bad for you guys. But that's not what Christmas is about, is it? Christmas is about the incredible, unconditional empathy of Jesus Christ because he comes down. He doesn't watch from heaven. He walks with us on earth. What does it say? So Jesus then makes this big point. I will always be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So what the social scientists say we need, like in the core, the foundation of our very being, is we need that witness. We need somebody that we can count on that is always with us no matter what. And as a child, if you don't get it. And many of us didn't. And you know the reason why many of us didn't? Because many of our parents didn't get it either. It's just a terrible ripple effect. But if you do get it, if you do get it, it'll transform your life. There's a wholeness about you. And that's what social scientists are saying. And it just is fascinating to me that that's exactly the story of Christmas, that Jesus Christ had unconditional empathy for you. And he walks with you and will not turn away. So this is, this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this peace today and how Christ is with us. And if we have the understanding of what Christmas really is all about, the empathy of a loving God, it'll bring a wholeness. It'll bring healing to our very lives. When you, when you read about empathy, one of the first things that it uses in the descriptors to define is, is to walk in somebody else's shoes. I don't see how you can get more Christmas than that. Like he takes on flesh. He walks in their sandals or our shoes or whatever. It's, it's all about empathy. So this is what I want to say today. The Christmas story is an empathy story. The Christmas story is an empathy story. And again, the fascinating thing is that's the very thing 
that each one of us absolutely must have, vitally important, in order for our foundation to be strong and not missing something so that we can live a peace-filled life. Now, I want to read the scripture here. Luke chapter 2, you heard it just a moment ago, verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. I want to stop right there at that opening. It says, do not be afraid. Here, here's an interesting trivia fact for you. You know the most repeated phrase in the entire Bible? The phrase that's repeated more than any other phrase? Do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why is that so important? Everybody, people like me, people like me, pastors like me, uh, have a bad habit of using fear to motivate people right? You know why? Because it's easy and it's self-centered and it's selfish, but it's not grounded in the Bible. Fear will conform us, but the Bible wants to transform us. So the fear has to go, right? And this is where the, this is where the storyline of the Bible is entirely unique. There's no fear and there's nothing but love, unconditional, empathic love. And that is transforming once we allow that to seep in. So Listen, if, if, we're going to, if we're going to solve the issues in our life, there's one emotion that every single one of us has to, has to, has to deal with, confront and wrestle to the ground, and that is fear. The psychologist will tell you that. The social scientist will tell you that. You've got to deal with fear. If you want to have healthy relationships, what the relationships experts will tell you, first off, you've got to deal with your strongest, because it's the strongest emotion every single one of us has in our life. We have a fear mechanism we got to deal with, and this is why God deals with fear. And this is why the angels at Christmas come down and say, fear not, you've got to deal with fear. So if you're here today and you think that God is a God that you need to be feared in the way of like shaking, you've got you, you to get rid of that, okay? Now, he goes on. It's going to be good news. It's going to be great joy. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Now, I want to show you something, and, and it's a question mark. Why in the world? Caesar Augustus, everybody, look at some of these titles. Now, Caesar Augustus is the Roman emperor. He's the most powerful person on the face of the earth. Before Jesus Christ, where he preceded Jesus, and, and he says that, it says that Rome sent out evangelists telling the good news, just like Jesus, telling the good news. And then he's called all these names. He's called a God. He's called the son of God. He's called the savior. Why in the world, everybody, does the Bible choose to give the same titles to Jesus that were already used for the emperor Caesar Augustus? It's a very important point. Very important point. Because I've actually heard some people say, oh, well, they're just reusing the title for Caesar Augustus. No, here's what the Bible's doing. It's juxtaposing two different kingdoms and two different ways to do life. One doesn't lead to peace at all, okay? And one leads to total peace. And, and this is a confirmed fact. And this is why Luke does this in the Bible. Do you think that Caesar Augustus has any empathy for you? Will he come and walk with you? Will he be born in a manger for you? Okay. Would Caesar Augustus even care anything about you? No. The answer is no. And yet we aspire to be Caesar Augustus, even though we know that that does not lead to peace. What does lead to peace is the path of Jesus Christ actually is confirmed to lead to peace. There's a famous scene in the Bible where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, right? It's, it's the night that he is betrayed. He washes their feet. Hey, everybody, back in Jesus' day, there in the Middle East, like there's, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the ground, like not just the dirt and the mud and all that kind of stuff, but there are animals everywhere. 
everywhere. So when Jesus is washing their feet and getting everything out in between their toes, not all that brown stuff is mud. Some of it is manure. So Jesus, right, right before he is to be crucified and betrayed, there he is down on the ground washing the manure from in between the toes of his disciples. Do you think that Caesar Augustus, the great man, would do that for you? You wouldn't even ask. It's not even a thought. There's no way that he's going to do that. Do we aspire to be like Caesar Augustus or Jesus Christ? Do we aspire to, to, to have our lives modeled after? Where should we look? Where should we look for answers when it comes to peace and balance in our lives? Now, I want you to think about this when talking about empathy. You know who was at that foot washing ceremony? Judas. Judas, the one that would betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that Judas has betrayed him, knowing that all the injustice and all the horror that he's about ready to experience, Jesus gets down on his knees and he gets rid of the mud and the manure in between Judas's toes as well. Now think about this for a second. If Judas could not make Jesus turn off his empathy for them, him showing up, what in the world could you do to make Jesus turn around and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not gonna have any empathy for them anymore. And many of us in our minds, many times like, am I being punished? Is God punishing me because I've done something wrong? Or does God not love me anymore? Or has God walked away from me anymore? I mean, what's going on? Jesus, Jesus says these words. He says, I'm gonna give you a peace that the world cannot give. What in the world does that mean? I'm gonna give you a peace that the world can't give. You know what the world does? The world is notorious for walking away from us. Caesar Augustus doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. There have been people that have walked away from you in your life. You never would have thought they would have walked away. There have been people in my life. Like, there's been numerous people in my life. Like that person, they're solid. They're solid. They're not going to walk away from me. But you know what? In our world, our world is notorious for people walking away. Now, I hope that never happens to you, but I'm afraid probably it has. And here's the thing about Jesus. Here's the anchor for your very soul, for your foundation, so you can be a person that experiences the amazing peace that actually Christmas is really all about. Jesus will never, ever, never walk away from you. If Judas, if Judas could not force Jesus to end his empathy, there's nothing that you could possibly do to make Jesus stop being empathetic for you and allow that thought to sink in. If, if Jesus gets down and washes Judas's feet, I mean, what does that mean that he will do for you? Okay, now I want to land Santa's sled here on this message, okay? This is fantastic information. I mean, this information that I've shared here this morning is entirely unique. God, who would come to our world not be born in a palace, but be born in a manger to experience all the stuff, as the Bible says, that we did, to walk with us, to have had that kind of empathy. And again, empathy, to step in our shoes, to step in our shoes and say, you know what? Doesn't matter how stinky or smelly your shoes are. I'm gonna keep walking with you. No matter what, no matter what, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. That message is entirely unique. And this is what I wanna say about that message. It can't do a thing for you. It's not gonna change you. It's not like next week you're going to say, wow, man, I feel so at peace. This is just absolutely, it can't change you at all. It's fantastic information, but it's not information that is going to transform you. You're going to need something else. I want to read this to you, Isaiah 26. And there are so many verses that are similar to this in the Bible, okay? But let me just read this one to you. You will keep in perfect peace. That's what we're after, peace, 
We all want peace. We all want peace inside and on the outside. I'm, I, I, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All those, all whose thoughts, here it comes, are fixed on you. Here is what has to happen. There are no quick fixes in the Bible. Actually, the Bible says, beware the quick fix. There's no way we can give you a quick fix today. It's not like you walked in with no peace and you walked out and you're just glowing like a Christmas tree with peace, okay? But your 2024 Christmas can be radically different than your 2023 Christmas and in terms of peace, okay? How does it happen? By fixing your mind on thoughts, by saturating your mind on the truth of what the Christmas story really is. And that is, is that Jesus Christ has unconditional and unending empathy for you and it will never, ever turn off. Now, here's what the social scientists say. Here's what all the research say. If you wanna go Google this, I would encourage you to Google this. I, this is what I, I've Googled, I've Googled it many times. Like, God, not God, Google's not God. Okay. <laughs> Google, uh, how can I be a person of peace? How, how, how can I be a person of peace? You know the number one answer that comes back? And I've read it in so many books. So many books. Mindfulness. What is mindfulness? It's what you fill your mind with. Kind of like what the Bible keeps saying over and over and over again. We talked about it last week. What you choose to meditate your mind on. Or as Isaiah says here, what you fix your mind upon. That will change you. You have to begin to saturate your mind with the true message of Christmas. And that is that Jesus is always with you. He always has empathy for you. And that empathy will put a solid foundation in your life. Now, uh, a number of years ago, um, I I had this thing. It was in, what, 2017. Uh, My vestibular system got way out of whack. It was terrible. Like I couldn't stand to preach anymore. I had to sit, sit on a stool. And when I was sitting on the stool, I had to like grip you know, grip the side of the stool because I was afraid I was going to fall off the stool. It's terrible. You know, I was worried that somebody new would come in. They didn't know what the situation was and thought that the pastor's already drunk first thing in the morning. Okay. So it was bad. I mean, it was bad. Like I wasn't going to do any more weddings again. I wasn't going to stand up again. I would see other people standing up on a stage like this. And I would say to myself, I could never do that. I could never do it. It was a year in crisis for me. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. Went to doctor after doctor, after doctor, after doctor. Nobody had an answer. And then one day I got a phone call. It's from Minnesota. So I think this doctor was from the Mayo Clinic. It was a program that my insurance company had. That's actually, I didn't believe was true. But anyway, this guy called me and he says, Hey, we figured it out. Like my first thought was, no, you didn't. There's no way. And I could tell he's like running down a hallway. This doctor was running down. He says, what you need is vestibular PT. I'm like, hey, dude, I've had vestibular PT. That didn't do a thing for me. Didn't solve any problems. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the answer to you. Not only do you need vestibular PT, we've got to change your brain. You got a brain problem and we got to change your brain. So I got to give you this little pill that's going to cause your brain to relax. And then when you do the vestibular PT, it's going to heal itself. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't believe it. And sure enough, I started taking that little pill and doing vestibular PT and voila, here I stand before you. Here's the thing. You want to be a person of peace. I have no quick fix for you today. You're not going to walk out of here glowing. But if you saturate your mind with this, and we're going to put it up on, oh, it's already there. It's great. The unconditional, unending empathy of Jesus Christ, both for you and through you. And particularly at the beginning of the day, the Bible says in Lamentations chapter three, the steadfast love, like the unending love of the Lord, it never ceases. And then it goes on to say, it's new every morning. There's something that happens. Our brains, this is called neuroplasticity, right? They can be molded and shaped. 
But when you go from being asleep, unconscious, to being awake, conscious, in that transition, if, and you see Jesus doing this the first thing in the morning, seeking God, if in that morning you begin to just focus your day before you get rolling in emails and everything else that you do, and you think, you know what? He's with me all day long, no matter what. And all the people around me, he loves them just the same. And you begin to saturate your mind day after day after day after day after day. Here is what the word of God says about Christmas. And here is what social science confirms. You will change. You will change. Now, I'm going to invite the uh, music team up. They're going to come. They're going to help us sing Silent Night. I want to encourage you to find that little light that we gave you because we want to turn those lights on. We want to sing this beautiful, beautiful Christmas hymn. Silent night. And then I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, that each one of you, your minds will be fully saturated with this great truth that will lay a foundation in you so that your life will never, ever be the same. Okay. And I'm going to ask my family to come up too. Uh, They're going to help me sing as well.